Research, I'm Leonard Lopate. The demand for cobalt has risen considerably over the last decade because it's an essential component of the rechargeable batteries that power laptops, tablets, smartphones, and electric vehicles. In 2021, 72% of the global supply was mined in the Congo along uh, what is called the Central African Copper Belt. But as Siddharth Kara reveals in his latest book, Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives, the mining has been taking an immense toll on the people and environment of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The book is published by St. Martin's Press and brings Siddharth Kara, who is a British Academy Global Professor, an Associate Professor of Human Trafficking and Modern Slavery at Nottingham University, and a senior fellow at the Harvard School of Public Health to our show now. Welcome. Uh, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Cobalt is a, a chemical element. Is cobalt red very different from cobalt blue, which has been used as a, a source of blue pigment since antiquity? Well, cobalt red is it's the, the title of the book because um, the cobalt is that's being mined in the Congo is just drenched in the blood of the Congolese people. Um, cobalt is actually a silvery metal in nature. When it's oxidized, um, it, it, it can be used as a blue pigment. Uh, but when I was there, all the cobalt I saw was just um, painted in red uh, because of all mm-hmm. the, the blood and suffering of the Congolese people trying to scrounge this mineral out of the ground and feed it up the supply chain to tech and EV companies. Well, aren't nearly half of the world's reserves in the Democratic Republic of Congo? And doesn't its Katagana region hold more reserves of cobalt than the rest of the world combined? Yeah, that's right. By by virtue of geographic fluke, um, the Congo holds more reserves of cobalt than the rest of the planet combined. Um, and they're all uh, in a very narrow little patch in the southeastern corner of the country, Um uh, known as the Katanga region. Uh, in fact, it's just the bottom part of that region, which is the the geographic uh, zone uh, where all the all the cobalt is. It's bound to copper um, in these immense deposits uh, in a sort of 400 by 100 kilometer rectangle in that southeastern corner of the uh, of the Congo. Well, we're talking about a country that's been troubled for a long time. It's the former Belgian Congo. Oh, that's right. Um, the the great and curse of the Congo is that it, it has been pillaged for its abundant resources for generations, for centuries, going back to the colonial period. Well, after Congo g- gained independence in 1960, Belgium sought to undermine its former colonies, anti-imperialist Prime Minister Patrice Lumumba, and supported a separatist rebellion in Katanga. Uh, What happened there? Well, the Belgians, uh, you know, starting with King Leopold, of course, they pillaged and ransacked the ivory and rubber uh, of the Congo, um, uh, causing immense violence uh, and and terror and slavery uh, to do so. Then the the mineral deposits in Katanga were discovered right around the time of the handover to the Belgian state from the king. And by the time you get to independence in 1960, those uh, mines and the the mineral wealth was responsible for about 70 to 80 percent of the entire um, national revenue. 
So within 11 days of independence, uh, the Belgians basically chopped off that part of the Congo. They backed a separatist leader, uh, sent in their military forces, and, and basically seceded Katanga from the rest of the Congo, which crippled the nation within 11 days of independence. Now, the leader, uh, democratically elected leader, Patrice Lumumba, had a bold anti-colonial nationalist vision that the mineral wealth of the Congo should be enjoyed by the Congolese people. Um, but the and Belgians the CIA o- over- orchestrated the overthrow of Lumumba, didn't it? That's right. So the Belgians conspired with the U.S. Uh, and sort of their neo-colonial allies. Uh, and within months, they had overthrown Patrice Lumumba, assassinated him, chopped him to pieces, dissolved him mm. in acid, save one tooth that was kept as a souvenir by one of the Belgians involved in that plot. Uh, and he only returned it. His descendants actually only returned that tooth to the Congo last year. Well, this is a, a country that was rich uh, in resources, uh, ivory, rubber, palm oil, diamond, geranium. And only more recently have we uh, seen cobalt as uh, the, the thing uh, that everybody wants. Now, um, weren't the mines nationalized by the former dictator Joseph Mobuto Sese Seko and then sold to the Chinese in 2012 by a later dictator, Joseph Kabila? Yes, so once Lumumba had been deposed and assassinated, um, the West propped up a a bloody dictator in his place, Joseph Mobutu. Um, And Mobutu. He stayed in power for 30 years. For 30 years, that's right. He had the unwavering support of um, the U.S., the U.N., uh, Belgium, France, other Western countries. Um, and he became a scandalously rich person, siphoning off mineral wealth. But but he ke- he had support because he kept the minerals flowing to the West and away, particularly in the 60s and 70s, away from the Soviet Union. That was the big concern uh, of Western powers at the time. Um, now, he was uh, later deposed in a violent coup by Laurent Kabila. Kabila was then assassinated and his son took over, Joseph Kabila. And around 2009 and 2010 is when Joseph Kabila started selling off massive copper cobalt mines to the Chinese because before anyone else had a sense of what was happening, the Chinese knew the future was cobalt. The rechargeable economy would be driven by cobalt, and they cornered the market and bought all those mines. And how responsible are the Chinese for the human rights abuses and child labor that are prevalent in Congo's mining sector these days? They're a big part of the reason why conditions are so deplorable at the bottom of the supply chain. Uh, they don't hold themselves to the same human rights standards as other nations. I think that much uh, is abundantly clear. And when you get on the ground, um, their mining companies are um, uh, destroying the environment, dumping toxic effluents into the water, earth, and air. Uh, they have clear-cut millions of trees without replanting them, um, just gouging the earth in, in this scramble for cobalt. And they are also the primary buyers of the cobalt dug by women and girls, men and boys by hand in very hazardous conditions uh, and pay just a couple of dollars a day for their trouble. Has COVID had an impact on all of this? Because China's had a major COVID problem. 
Yeah, COVID, you know, a lot of there was a lot of coverage, of course, of the impact of COVID on all of our lives. Um, um, and it had a significant impact in, for the artisanal miners digging out cobalt in the Congo um, in the early period of uh, the pandemic when there were massive lockdowns uh, the big mines also shut down to protect their staff but the world still needed cobalt in fact we needed cobalt more than ever so that we could work from home and go to school from home and so we were gobbling up gadgets filled with cobalt in the batteries so it was the artisanal miners the peasant population um, hundreds of thousands of poor Congolese people uh, pressured into the pits and tunnels um, uh, to keep digging cobalt, to keep the flow going, because the greater planet around us, the global north, needed that cobalt and all the rechargeable devices. My guest is Siddharth Kara, whose latest book is Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives. It's published by St. Martin's Press. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. Well, the United States has, have a, has a lot of tension with China these days. Has that affected any of the uh, the cobalt issues here? Um, not to my knowledge as of yet. Uh, yeah, but, but it's a very uh, interesting question because the U.S. is immensely, well, the world, including the U.S., is immensely dependent on China for mm. the flow of cobalt and other lithium-ion battery materials and metals. The the entire supply chain flows predominantly through China from pit in the Congo all the way to battery that is purchased by uh, consumer-facing tech and EV companies. Uh, China could turn off the tap anytime, um, and that that's why there's an anxiety uh, to secure alternate supply chains. And you saw the Biden administration sign, signing an MOU just a few weeks ago with the Congolese government to try to promote alternate battery supply chains. The problem is there isn't a single U.S. mining company operating in the Congo, so there's not too much we can do. And the Democratic Republic of Congo's current president, Felix Chesekedi, has promised to review many of the lucrative concessions granted to Chinese companies. But um, has he done anything? Well, I think the Shishiketi administration does see the writing on the wall. Uh, they do, uh, in my conversations with members of his government, um, they do see that China is basically um, ransacking these vital vital uh, minerals, and eventually the Congo will be left with nothing but valueless dirt. Um, so he's attempting to bring more transparency to the mining sector, combat corruption in the mining sector, and move the country more towards the U.S. and the and the West. Um, it's early in his, in his administration, just a couple of years in. So uh, we'll have to see how things unfold in the years to come. But I, I do believe he's making bona fide efforts to try and address some of these immense injustices and tragedies uh, being forced upon the Congolese people. In 2016, Amnesty International and AfroWatch released a report that tied companies like Apple and Samsung to these exploitably mined cobalt areas. Didn't that lead to promises of reforms? What's happened? Nothing's nothing's improved on the ground. Yeah, um, and also, we have we have a few other companies, don't we? Tesla, Daimler, uh, all uh, of them, 
Uh, he, here's the thing. Three-fourths of the world's supply of cobalt came from the Congo last year. Okay, so all these consumer-facing tech and EV companies, every last one of them has cobalt in their rechargeable batteries. And any claim that they may make that the cobalt in those batteries is untouched by child labor, forced labor, hazardous and degrading labor, and, and massive environmental destruction is utterly disingenuous. There is no reliable way for a company at the top of the cobalt chain to make a legitimate claim that their batteries are untainted by these hazards and insults and abuses and environmental destruction. If they make those claims, they are either dealing in falsehood or recklessly ignorant of the truth. A community leader told you, never have people of the Congo benefited from the mines of Congo. We only become poorer. Don't more than three-quarters of uh, the country's population live below the poverty line while few have access to things like clean drinking water and even fewer to electricity? The Congo is one of the poorest, most um, exploited, and s severely downtrodden countries on the planet. Uh, I mean, it's at so the despite bottom its of riches. Despite all the riches, in fact, the riches have been a great curse, a great curse going back to Leopold and uh, what Conrad called the heart of darkness. You know, it was Leopold's genocidal plunder that inspired that novella, Heart of Darkness. And nothing has really changed for the Congolese people 130 years later. They are still being pillaged for their resources by foreign powers. They do not benefit from these resources. Electrification rate in rural areas is 1%. Uh, there's a lack of sanitation, high uh, maternal mortality rates. Uh, it's just an absolute uh, tragedy that this country, blessed with such resources, has been subjected to so much pillage and so much suffering across so many centuries. You've traveled into militia-controlled mining areas to document the testimonies of the people living, working, and dying for cobalt since 2018, often under armed guards. Were you ever in danger? Oh, y yes, Leonard. Uh, you know, it's, it is a very hazardous endeavor to go into the Congo, into the mining areas, and try to uncover the truth. Because there are so many stakeholders, including violent army uh, uh, militias and other uh, uh, armed units that want to keep the truth obscured because there's so much money at stake. So I had to be very careful with ground teams, where I went, uh, how I conducted myself, who I spoke to, trying to keep things as safe for people I was interviewing as possible. Nonetheless, I did face hazards, um, uh, including one episode I'll never forget. Uh, I still wake up in terror sometimes in the night um, of commandos rushing me in the hills above a town called Cambove. Uh, and I thought that was the end um, because I was in an artisanal mining area with hundreds of children, hundreds of children, caked in toxic cobalt, grit and grime. Uh, and these are the secrets that nobody wants anyone to see outside of the Congo. You've written over the years about sex trafficking and other forms of so-called modern slavery, and you've said that in more than two decades of, I'm quoting here, research into slavery and child labor, I have never seen more extreme predation, 
for profit than a witness at the bottom of the global cobalt supply chains. Really? Well, never. What are some of the things that you see? Never, never. No, no, he, th- I have been doing research on modern slavery and child labor for 22 and a half years now in more than 50 countries and dozens of sectors. And I have never seen more human degradation and suffering at the bottom of a value chain that generated more profit at the top. In fact, I'll go one step further and say never in the history of slavery and colonial plunder has there been so much human degradation and suffering that generated more profit at the top of the chain and touched the lives of more people around the world than is than what is happening right now in the cobalt mining sector of the Congo today. So it's even worse than it was in the past when uh, the Congo River was uh, supplying the world with ivory, rubber, palm oil, diamonds, and uranium? The amount of profit being made by companies at the top of the chain and the number of lives that rely on that cobalt, never in history. I mean, how many people, billions of people cannot get through a 24-hour period without cobalt? I mean, we can't, you and I, we can't conduct daily life without cobalt. You and I can't have this conversation right now without cobalt. I mean, the lives of the global north would grind to a halt. And that's never happened before in history. Now, add to that the immense profits being made by these mega cap tech and EV companies, all on the backs of the degraded, uh, 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 violated, abused uh, poor people of the Congo, uh, particularly children. I, I don't think there's been, ever been a more uh, extreme um, insult to human dignity that generated more profit and touched more lives than what's happening right now with cobalt. It's children. Well, it's mostly children, but you say also uh, women and often pregnant women. Yeah, there are so many. Uh, Leonard, I've seen thousands of young mothers with infants strapped to their backs, hacking away at the ground. Cobalt is toxic to touch. It's toxic to breathe. Uh, There is an immense public health catastrophe taking place in the Congo that almost no one is talking about. Those babies are inhaling toxic cobalt dust all day long, every day, Mm. quite apart from the children, the mothers, the boys, the, the fathers, all of them suffering toxic exposure, quite apart from the uh, mining pollution that's taking place. It's a complete public health catastrophe, all for cobalt. These people make barely a couple of dollars a day. Uh, and so it's it's an absolute tragedy. And, and further than that, it's a hypocrisy that we would be pursuing a green economy and a green future with a transition to electric vehicles based on such violence and environmental destruction in the Congo. So we're thinking about these uh, electric vehicles as a very positive thing for the planet, but at the same time, it's obviously uh, going to cause a lot more trouble in Congo. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, green for us is red for them. Uh, the, the, we've charged forward so fast with a very important uh, mission to protect the environment uh, and pursue climate sustainability goals, we've charged forward so fast that no one has paid adequate attention to the cost of that uh, campaign on the people who live 
and dig and scrounge where the vital battery minerals are located. And that's chief among them, the Congo. You quote one widow of an artisanal miner saying, here it is better not to be born. Yes, I, I remember that encounter very well. She, um, her name was Priscille. I call her. I use pseudonyms in my book, and uh, so I gave her the pseudonym Priscille. She was working with a group of young women, uh, young women uh, uh, who are on their own tend to work together for safety. There's a, 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 a pandemic of sexual assault against young women and girls um, in the mining areas. Another tragedy. No one up the chain is is bothering to even talk about. Wait, um, so they're not her. only so it's not only physically bad for them just to do the mining, but then they're also in danger of being raped and and such. There, there are predators at every level of the chain, okay, and and soldiers, commandos, police, uh, other artisanal miners, um, uh, prey on young young women and girls as well. Uh, no one at the top of the chain uh, expresses zero tolerance policies on the rape of young women and girls in the Congo. They don't even bother to even think about the consequences of what's happening for this scramble for cobalt. So Priscille, yes, she lost her husband to a respiratory ailment. Uh, I can't be sure, but I'm quite certain it was because of exposure to toxic dust. Uh, men particularly dig in tunnels in very cramped quarters, inhaling toxic particulates all day. She told me she tried to have children and miscarried twice, and that's when she said, actually, I'm glad God took my children because here it's better not to be born. Im imagine the bleakness and fatalism uh, of a population of people that have come to that conclusion. How much are they paid for this work? Priscilla made about 80 cents a day. Um, huh. You know, it ranges up to a few dollars a day, tunnel digging um, that uh, teenage boys and men do. Uh, there's higher grade deposits a little further down, so they might make 4 or $5 in a day if they're lucky. Um, but that imagine that that's the quantum that we're talking, that the, the high end is 4 or $5 a day, feeding cobalt up a chain that for companies that will sell us a smartphone for $1,000 and an electric vehicle for $100,000. Uh, but Priscille um, was at the very bottom, bottom, bottom end of the bottom of the cobalt supply chain, not even making a dollar a day. And you report that these people are so desperate for work that the whole family winds up in the mines, as you pointed out, even the children. Aren't there schools for them to go to? No, this is the tragedy layered on top of the tragedy. Um, there's virtually nothing else for people to do now in that part of the Congo because the mines have taken over the entire countryside. They just keep growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger, oftentimes displacing entire villages of thousands of people uh, who then have no place to live, no alternate livelihood. Uh, and the only way they can be sure that they could possibly earn a dollar or two a day, which is the difference between eating or not, is to go into the mines uh, and dig for cobalt. Or just go into the countryside and dig for cobalt. And children are pulled in because it's all about volume. You know, it's not like you and I get paid a salary and we can work and rely on a certain wage. So when it's a volume-based business, one more sack means another dollar or two. Then children are brought so the entire family can work to survive. And there are hardly any schools. 
in that part of the Congo. And even if they were, children would end up still having to work so the family can survive. And the schools, you say, are too expensive for low-wage workers as well. Uh, well, now- this is a this is a one of my critiques of the Congolese government, which is, you know, pri- primary education is supposed to be free in that country until the age of eighteen. Uh, the government doesn't allocate sufficient budget to to build schools and pay teachers. So many of the schools I found charge have to charge uh, monthly fees of four or five dollars. That's that's for the month, okay? And most families cannot afford that. So the difference between a child being educated and a child having to risk his or her life digging for cobalt is four or five dollars a month. Now stop for a minute and think. The companies at the top of the chain that are relying on the labor and resources of this community, they can't find uh, the spare change to help keep children in school. It's it's mm. utterly astounding and an and, and absolute hypocrisy. And it can be fatal, can't it? Haven't young men and boys been crushed in tunnel collapses while women and girls have worked in radioactive wastewater? Everyone in the Congo digging for cobalt is suffering injury, toxic exposure, uh, and death every day. Um, uh, The ore that that you find cobalt in in the Congo most often is called heterogenite. It typically has copper, cobalt, nickel, sometimes some silver, and sometimes traces of radioactive uranium. Are they mining the the copper as well? Yeah, it's all part of one stone, you see, so... When this, when they dig the stone out and then, then they sell it up the chain, the industrial mining companies use um, uh, uh, industrial acids, primarily sulfuric acid, to separate the copper from the cobalt, from the nickel, from the silver. Um, and then they export that up the chain to be used in battery making. So it's all part of one stone, which can include radioactive uranium, which has, of course, m- immensely negative consequences on the human body. And then you mentioned the tunnel collapses, and this is the great secret that no one up the chain wants anyone to talk about. There are probably ten to 20,000 tunnels that have been dug by hand by artisanal miners trying to earn a little more money. And they don't have supports. They don't have rock bolts and ventilation shafts. They climb down there all day, and these tunnels collapse all the time. And when they do, everyone down there, typically boys and teenage, teenage boys and men, are buried alive, and they suffer that horrid demise. I've met with the parents who lost children in tunnel collapses, wives who lost their husbands. It is a torture, an agony. And there's this untold tally of destroyed lives in the Congo from tunnel collapses that no one at the top of the chain wants to talk about. You also report on 14-year-olds being shot for seeking better prices. That's right. You see... Everyone is desperate to survive. Everyone. Everyone down there is desperate to survive. And, and young boys who dig cobalt and get paid a dollar or two by the intermediaries who then sell it to the industrial mining companies. I documented some cases where they tried to go to a different buyer and maybe earn a little more uh, or sell to a different mining company than where they dug. And they were shot, shot and killed. I have a video of it. A, a colleague sent me a video on WhatsApp uh, of two boys, and I, I write about it in my book, Cobalt Red, um, uh, of, the, of the terror of that community, the anger um, that was exploding 
to see these two children gunned down because they wanted to try to earn a little more money for their cobalt. And there's no justice for people in the Congo. It's all mining, money, and power. Uh, if children get killed and gunned down, so be it. You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. My conversation with Siddharth Kaira. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of his book. And you may have uh, read the rave review in the New York Times Sunday book review. Um, It's called Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives. To get it, just go online to give to WBAI.org. Or call 212-209-2950 during today's show, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. That's give and the number to WBAI.org, or you can, you can also give TOWBAI.org, or call 212-209-2950. But do it during today's show, and don't forget to make that $50 donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large, and we thank you very much, and return now. To Siddharth Kara, uh, an author, researcher, activist on modern slavery. He is a British Academy Global Professor and Associate Professor of Human Trafficking and Modern Slavery at Nottingham University, a senior fellow at the Harvard School of Public Health, author of three books, um, uh, who, uh, which have won the Frederick Douglass Book Prize. And uh, the book we are discussing is Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives. It is published by St. Martin's Press. Um, now, are we all implicated to some degree? If I had known just how terrible the situation is, should I have not bought a laptop, a tablet, or a smartphone? Injustice in this entire... In this entire sequence, Leonard, which is you and I, uh, consumers around the world, we've all been made unwitting participants in this violence and this injustice uh, because we buy smartphones, tablets, laptops. Maybe we will buy an electric vehicle thinking we're making a green choice um, and we're relying on the company's assurances that these are sustainably and ethically produced products when, as far as cobalt is concerned, they're not. Uh, and there's nothing you and I can do about it. You know, we can't go and fix the mining operations in the Congo, pay people a decent wage, uh, make sure children are in school, uh, uh, not pollute and destroy the environment. That's up to the companies that sell us these products. And the hypocrisy here is they all claim that the cobalt is mined in ethical conditions, that their supply chains are completely monitored that there, there's no child labor in their cobalt. And yet the ground truth is the complete opposite. All of the child mine cobalt flows into the formal supply chain, as along with the artisanal cobalt. All this suffering we're talking about flows into the formal supply chain. And so you and I, when we buy these products, we're participating 
in this immense violence against the people of the Congo, against our own will. Well, if the, the miners were paid a decent wage and treated better, wouldn't it be much too expensive to buy a cell phone? No, not it, you, the, 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 the sums of money required to probably eliminate 80% of the harm and destruction taking place in the Congo would represent a rounding error on the balance sheets of consumer-facing tech and EV companies. You're talking about paying people, let's say, maybe $10 a day instead of two. And that's the difference between eating and keeping a child in school and not. You're talking about maybe giving them PPE so that they're not exposed directly to toxic cobalt dust day in and day out. How much do gloves and boots cost? It's a one-time expense. So these types of small, small investments, we wouldn't even notice it on a $1,000 a, a smartphone or $100,000 EV. There's no need to pass along that cost. Maybe a company has to absorb a fractional tenth of a percent less net profit. But isn't that worth it to preserve the dignity and humanity of the people of the Congo? Well, you've said that after you return from your travels, you see Western prosperity with new eyes. I'm quoting you, the world back home no longer makes sense. Clean air and water feel like a crime. You know, so much of what we enjoy in the West has been built upon violence, violence against people in the global South. Um, The gadgets that we enjoy today are built upon violence against the people of the Congo, and we enjoy our opulent lives. And I say opulent by comparison to the people in the Congo You know, we can walk into a grocery store and there are mountains of vegetables and food for us to consume. Uh, Our air is relatively clean. So is our water. I mean, these things, it's like, how did these extremes exist on the same planet where there's no clean air and water in the Congo because of cobalt mining, where people can barely earn a couple of dollars a day? They barely have food to eat, let alone clean water. I mean, it's... It just feels like we have inflicted an immense offense and and an appalling injustice upon these people in pursuit of our daily lives. But it's not you and me, Leonard. It's the companies whose responsibility it is to ensure their supply chains are ethical, decent, and dignified. No one put a gun to the head of these companies and said, you've got to use cobalt. They created demand for this mineral There's a scramble to feed it up the chain to meet demand, and they're not doing sufficient, not nearly enough, to ensure the dignity and safety of the Congolese people. Is there an alternative to cobalt in these devices? Well, there are certainly... Cobalt was associated with jewelry, wasn't it? Although uh, I assume that cobalt wasn't all mined in in, uh, Central Africa. I mean, cobalt has an array of functions in the modern world. Uh, it's used uh, uh, to make super alloys for things like jet engines and turbines. Mm. Um, it's used in the medical field. Uh, of course, it's used for pigment. Um, uh, but the, the, the demand, the immense demand and the immense future demand has been driven by the rechargeable economy and the transition to electric vehicles. Each electric vehicle requires up to 10 kilograms of refined cobalt in the battery pack. I mean, it's an enormous amount of cobalt. 
Uh, now, alternate battery chemistries are being developed that might reduce or eliminate cobalt. There are even some EV batteries right now that don't use cobalt. Um, but even if every gadget and car in the world stopped using cobalt in the battery tomorrow, that would do absolutely nothing to repair the last 12 plus years of enormous violence committed against the people of the Congo and the destruction of their environment. My guest is Siddharth Kara, S-I-D-D-H-A-R-T-H-K-A-R-A. His latest book, Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives, is published by St. Martin's Press. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I mentioned earlier that Amnesty International and Afrowatch released a report that uh, were, was rather critical of the companies using this cobalt. Uh, that was in 2016, but nothing much has happened since? No, things have only gotten worse. I mean, and imagine that. That report came out six or seven years ago now, hmm. uh, and conditions have only worsened in that time because the scramble has only uh, increased dramatically particularly being driven by the transition to electric vehicles. Uh, so that's, you know, the fact that even when awareness was raised by some NGOs um, and journalists who have gone down there and tried to uh, expose this story, um, nothing really changes on the ground because, because companies at the top of the chain make these marketing statements that their supply chains are untainted and so on. Well, if if that is true of all these companies, you know, if if all the tech and EV companies claim that child mined cobalt, artisanal cobalt does not enter their supply chain, well, where is it all going then? It, it has to be going somewhere. Uh, and the fact of the matter is it flows directly into the formal supply chain to industrial mining companies before it ever leaves the Congo. And from that point, it is completely impossible to distinguish industrially excavated cobalt from artisanally mined cobalt. Your book has been described as the first ever expose of the immense toll that's been taken on the people and environment of the Democratic Republic of Congo by cobalt mining. Why do you think it's taken so long for somebody to write a book considering the kind of disaster we are talking about here? Well, I, I think for a few reasons. One is it is difficult to get into that part of the Congo uh, and then to and move how around. how did you? <laughs> well, it took, me, it took me some time. I had to develop uh, ground relationships um, uh, before I could even manage to get a visa and get into that part of the Congo. And then to move around the mining provinces, you know, they're heavily militarized, heavily secured because, again, there's so much money at stake. Um, but I, I built relationships with people who live and work in mining communities, and through them, through their trust in me, I was able to go into mining areas, go into villages and talk to artisanal miners, access several industrial mines, and conduct extensive investigations in dozens of artisanal mining areas. And the totality of that work across several trips, in particular, gathering the voices of the Congolese people who are speaking a truth that runs completely antithetical to the fictions portrayed at the top of the chain, 
that took effort and time. Uh, and I think that's one reason why this was the first book to really expose this truth. But it's always, it always works this way, Leonard. There's, there's, there are truth seekers, uh, who build upon each other. You know, Amnesty and others did terrific work, um, that caught my attention. Uh, there will be people who build upon my work and eventually we flood the world with truth and that will lead to change. Well, the book received, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a rave review in the New York Times Sunday Book Review, and it's getting a lot of attention elsewhere as well. So do you imagine that we're actually going to see any changes in policy from the countries uh, that are affected? Would the U.S. policy uh, toward uh, <laughs> the, the sources of, uh, well, I guess... Who would we be going after, the Chinese? There will be change. Absolutely. This is how change happens. It always happens this way. Every anti-slavery movement in history happened in this way. There were truth seekers, maybe just a few at the outset, who saw an injustice, and they saw lies told by the exploiters, and they realized this cannot stand. Humanity has to be better than this. And they went and gathered the truth and persevered and others built upon their work. And eventually a critical mass of humanity, people of good conscience, saw fit to redress and address those injustices. And that's what will happen here. I have no doubt the voices of the Congolese people are now being heard. As you mentioned, my book, thankfully, is gathering attention. And I say thankfully because the book is the voices of the Congolese people speaking to the world that doesn't even know they exist, that doesn't even know that they cannot function for 24 hours without their suffering. And so now that truth is coming out, and I am confident that there will be people of conscience who will band together and apply pressure at every level to ensure that these injustices are set right. Now, you divide your time between Britain and the United States. Uh, what's been the reaction in, in Great Britain? to the book you know it's it's very interesting to see that there are there is a significant um community of policymakers uh in, in the uk and western europe for that matter uh and in north america who are concerned about this uh simply at a moral level of course at an ethical level but also from the geopolitical level vis-a-vis -vis supply chain security and china um China cornered the market on crucial battery component metals, particularly cobalt, before the West even knew what was happening. So there's concern from the ethical standpoint, yes, but also from the geopolitical standpoint to secure alternate supply lines. And I've seen that in the UK, in Western Europe. I've seen it in the US, but there is a, a substantial amount of work that needs to be done. We only have a few minutes left. Are there other things that you would like to discuss? This is a big book. I think the most important thing for people uh, who this may be, they've never heard or realized what was happening in, in their phone battery, in their tablet battery, or in their EV, is to take a moment as a consumer and think, um, uh, do I need to upgrade my phone every year? Uh, do I need the latest gadget? Um, uh, think in terms of your consumption choices um, about how they are affecting the lives uh, uh, at the bottom of the cobalt supply chain and spread awareness of this issue. 
the more that people learn about what's happening in the Congo, and I dare say many listeners today had no idea, and it's not their fault because this truth has been shrouded away and kept away from the public for many, many years. But as you learn the truth, please spread that truth. And if you feel inclined, read my book and listen to the voices of the Congolese people themselves and then make decisions on how you want to consume products and 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 I hope how you'd like to join efforts in a campaign globally to set right these injustices. I'm curious about Belgium, which uh, I now consider to be one of the more upright countries of the world. Uh, Are they at all still in that area? Do they have any kind of presence there in the old? No, there are no Belgian mining companies operating in the Congo. Uh, They do have a couple of mineral refineries uh, that refine cobalt and other battery metals. Um, Very, very small share of the global market. China, again, dominates. I think they they supplied about 75 to 80 percent of the refined global refined cobalt supply last year. They dominate graphite uh, as well as nickel, copper, other battery metals, uh, but especially cobalt. And then there's a handful of countries that sort of are responsible for 2%, 3% of cobalt supply. Belgium has some efforts, uh, I think one or two companies that refine cobalt, um, but they don't operate on the ground anymore. Now, just uh, in the few minutes that we have left, how is it actually dug out? Uh, are we talking about people with simple shovels just digging into the walls of, digging of caves? Digging with shovels, pickaxes, stretches of rebar, anything they can do to just hack away at the earth, dig a small hole, dig a trench, keep excavating. They'll gather uh, stone, dirt, uh, uh, and, 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 and heterogeneite ore. Um, put that through a sieve. So children will they'll st- will stand in a toxic pool of water, and they'll throw the dirt, stone, and ore on top of the sieve. Sieve it through the water so that only the cobalt stones are left. And then they load that into a sack, uh, uh, bit by bit by bit. And at the end of the day, a family might produce one or two sacks of cobalt that are about forty kilograms each. Mm. And then they sell those to traders, a uh, couple of dollars a sack. Uh, at most. And then those traders sell it into the formal supply chain, either through what's called depots uh, or directly to mining companies. So there's this informal layer beneath the industrial mining company that represents the formal supply chain. There's this informal ecosystem that launders the production of hundreds of thousands of poor Congolese people directly into the formal supply chain. And once it's at the industrial mining company, they take that artisanal cobalt sack, they take what they've gathered with their excavators, and they dump it into the same batch of acids to separate the copper from the cobalt from the nickel. And from that point forward, you cannot disaggregate what was artisanal and what was industrial. We have to leave it there. I did want to ask you about the film that's being made uh, inspired by this because your first book was adapted into the film Trafficked. But um, when that film comes out, I'd love to talk to you again. And my great thanks to Sid Arthur Cara. Uh, we've been talking about his latest book, Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives. Uh, it is published by St. Martin's Press. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leonard. 
And that brings us to the end of our show. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our uh, around 700 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has surpassed 1 million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep this show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We're asking anyone who can make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org right now because we need your help to keep bringing you the kind of unique information that we uh, that you've just heard Uh, and uh, as I mentioned earlier you can receive a copy of the book we've been discussing Cobalt Red How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives by Siddharth Kara by making that call at 212-209-2950 or by going online to WBAI to give to WBAI.org and you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, for $10, $15, $20, $25 a month. Allows us to plan for the future. If you do, we'll say thank you with a BAI tote bag for anyone who signs up for $10 a month or more. Remember, we are the, we rely 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants. Um, and your, your uh, contribution is tax-deductible. We are the only station in New York Radio that's 100% listener-sponsored. Thank you for supporting us, and we hope that you enjoyed today's show and can join us again tomorrow.